be with you this morning and to enjoy uh, worshipping with you. My area usually covers in the diocese everything from Peterborough across to King's Lynn, uh, down to Ely and then down to uh, Gamblingay and St. Neots and then back out to Molesworth again. So I cover a large number of churches in the sort of north and the south of the diocese. And I just want to say how important uh, and how significant your worship is together. Um, There are very few churches like yours, not just because it's a new church, but because of the the variety uh, and uh, the ministry that you have here. It is very precious. Guard it carefully. It's just great to see uh, different ages, men and women, worshipping uh, with such a great band leading our worship this morning. So thank you for blessing me, but do uh, take seriously how unusual this is. You are uh, in many parts of the diocese and look after yourselves. Guard the faith and uh, each other carefully. Peter, thank you uh, for your invitation this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would be glorified in our words, in our thinking, in my speaking, uh, and uh, in all that we do and say. May you receive the glory and honour due your name. Amen. Is anybody here from the Lake District? Oh, that's all right then. (laughs) I've been twice to the Lake District in the last uh, two months. Haven't been for years and years. And we went at the end of August as a family. Um, and uh, we thought, great, we'll do some hill walking and various other things like that. Uh, and it poured with rain. Every day. I happened to go for a conference uh, two weeks later, uh, Monday to Friday. And it poured with rain. Every day. It was just extraordinary. There was one moment when late in the afternoon the sun came out and the fells lit up and it was magnificent, truly awe-inspiring. But the rest of the time, all it felt was grey and overcast and heavy. A bit like Scotland most of the time, I hear. (laughs) Moody, ah. And you can tell, we stayed in Keswick. Now, Keswick has that world-famous museum, a pencil museum. Doesn't that set your hearts racing, the idea of going to a pencil museum? Well, in Keswick, it's a highlight. When it rains as often as it does, you can see the crowds of children and families lining up to go to see pencils. Exactly. Woo! It is so good. What a contrast when you see people wandering around in their... Uh, raincoats in there, sort of uh, cagoules and everything else, looking miserable, looking for something to do. And then when the sun comes out, people really do enjoy uh, that magnificent scenery. Our gospel reading, John chapter 5, which I understand is part of a series that you're looking at in John. Uh, We're going to look at those first 18 verses together. Um, is quite a remarkable passage. There's lots of things we could say about it, but I've limited ourselves... uh, to three sort of headings. And the first is called Cloud and Sunshine. And uh, it's in those opening nine uh, verses of uh, chapter five. You can actually go to the Pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem today. I've led two pilgrimages 
to the Holy Land. And down by the Sheep Gate, you can actually see this pool. It is, uh, it is well preserved. And there's beside it a small church called St. Anne's. And uh, lots of pilgrims go there and ha- have this story uh, read to them. But Jesus is there. Uh, and it is a place where, as verse 4, which is not in many manuscripts, not in the original manuscripts, but has been added later, tells us uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed uh, went uh, in the hope of healing. And Jesus is there amongst the crowds. And somehow he spots a man who's been there, we're told, for 38 years, day after day after day. Imagine what that would feel like, lying there in the heat, on that pallet, that mattress, that bed that he was on, in the hope of healing. Because the superstition was that if the waters were stirred, uh, stirred by an angel, waters bubbling up from underneath, uh, this, the first person in those waters uh, was likely to be healed. How different that is to uh, tonight's activities and your prayer for healing. When we ask the God of creation, the God who loves us and cares for us, Uh, to have his hand upon us and uh, as we pray that wholeness would come um, and do take seriously those prayer requests uh, that God would actually touch you. Well, this superstition had grown up and so people tended uh, this pool with its five porticos, its five arches and there was that man for 38 years uh, waiting. Couldn't quite get there in time because every time the waters were stirred somebody else would beat him. He seemed to be friendless. And as usual, the friend of the friendless comes and identifies and asks the man that extraordinary question. Do you want to be healed? What's that about? Of course he's been there. That's why he's been there every day for 38 years. Of course he wants to be healed. Or does he? And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? seems to me there are two potential um, reasons for that. Uh, two possibilities uh, of, of his question. And, and maybe it's because actually if he was healed, what would that man do? His illness, his paralysis defined him. That gave him his sense of identity. Everybody knew who he was, and he eked out some form of living. If he was going to be healed, then his life would be changed dramatically. Did he want that? Did he want to move from being known as the man who had always been there, day after day, who got those scraps of food who some people cared for? Or did he want to lead a different life? As a, as a pastor of a church, as a minister of a church, I know that there are people in, in the congregation I had and, and I see from time to time, as we all do, we sometimes see people who, who are almost sort of emotional black holes uh, and uh, define themselves by their needs. Do they want to be healed? Or is it more comfortable to stay as they are? And I guess that's then the second possibility um, which comes from the word that is used in the passage, Uh, the paralysis is described as a withering. And maybe the man's life had so withered that he couldn't imagine anything else, emotionally, physically withered. 
to that small spot by the pool. I said earlier that uh, one of uh, my passions is Doctor Who. And I recognise by saying that, a number of you will already have dismissed anything else I've got to say. But you get great theology in Doctor Who. Um, if you if watch it carefully enough. Um, and sometimes it hits you over the head. Uh, Russell T. Davis, who was the person who brought back Doctor Who to our television screens, is a self-proclaimed atheist. And yet, in those episodes that he wrote, you see more theology than you see almost in any other place on television. Uh, he had one episode when the Doctor, when it was David Tennant, was uh, stuck in some sort of planet. Uh, and it was they had um, that chap who was Fa- uh, Father Dougal, um, if any of you saw it. Uh, and he, I think he was dressed as a cat, so it was pretty difficult to recognize him. You know, these things happen in Doctor Who. Um, and they were all in camper vans. And they were all in this sort of super highway, uh, but all stuck. They were getting nowhere in this alien land. And year after year, uh, they were sitting in their camper vans. Their camper vans had become their world. And uh, one point every day, there was a moment of collective uh, silence. Well, collective activity, more than silence, because a hymn was sung, and it was broadcast to every camper van. And I can't remember what the hymn was. It was something like either uh, Abide With Me or uh, The Old Ragged Cross. You think, this man who's written this is an atheist. And he was asked why he put a hymn in the middle of uh, this sort of fairly gloomy story about people just being caught up in their own small world, isolated from one another, not really getting anywhere. And he said, it's because as human beings... We have to have hope. And if we don't have hope, then we wither and die. And maybe this man by the pool, his life had so withered and his inner life had died. And so Jesus asks him the question, do you want to be made well? And then that command, get up. Great play on words. Your mat has carried you. Now get up and carry your mat away. That's what Jesus says. And so the man does it. His arms or his legs, whatever it was that was paralyzed, didn't sort of suddenly straighten out. But he responded. And in that response to Jesus, he was made whole. It was as if The clouds had lifted and the sun had come out in his life and he was restored and everything looked glorious and wonderful. And that is what God wants to do for us. He wants to transform our lives, our communities and bring the sunshine out and restore us to the life that he always intended us to have. No longer to live in the gloom and the cloud and the rain, however important those are for the harvest. God has intended us for the glorious uplands and the hills and the sun. He's restored through Jesus, this man. A wonderful, wonderful picture of what God can do for us. Cloud to sunshine. Two ice creams. My uh, wife uh, was uh, brought up uh, as a clergy kid. 
she and her sister, uh, my father-in-law, uh, who's 93 and uh, has had a, an extraordinary ministry over his years, uh, still has a, a ministry in the, in the home that he lives in and every day wants to talk to people about Jesus. Well, as a, as a Church of England clergyman in the 60s and 70s, uh, you got very little pay. You don't get much now, uh, I assure you, uh, but you, get, you got even very little less then. And um, every end of every month, uh, the bank manager would write to him and say, Reverend Searle, uh, you're overdrawn again. Uh, please make sure this doesn't happen. Uh, that was the official letter, and informally the bank manager would say, we know your stipend check is coming times were hard. Ruth will talk about the parcels of clothes that they used to get from parishioners and the joy of that. And on one day of the week, uh, they were allowed orange juice and chocolate biscuits. That day was a Sunday. We had, in my congregation, uh, we had a, a family. He was also brought up in a clergy household, but obviously a slightly stricter uh, household. And on Sundays, they couldn't do anything. Uh, they weren't allowed to do anything apart from to go to church and to, to uh, various other church activities. They weren't allowed to kick a football around in the garden. Life was restricted. And he certainly wasn't allowed two ice creams or any ice cream. But actually, to, Sunday should be a day of two ice creams, of lots of chocolate biscuits, of orange juice, of celebration, of coming together. And that's why I think it's so good that you're having a bring and share lunch together. So you can enjoy not only your fellowship and your meal together, but all that God has given us is good. When I was leading one of the uh, pilgrimages uh, to Israel, we stayed in a huge hotel in Jerusalem. And uh, there was a number of lifts all over the place. And always there were two lifts together. And one of the lifts um, had writing in Hebrew. Uh, We didn't understand what it was, so we asked somebody... And they said, oh, that's the Sabbath uh, lift. Because uh, on the Sabbath, uh, if you stood at the, the lift long enough, the one with the writing by it, uh, the doors would open automatically. You would step in, and uh, then it would doors would close, and you'd go up to the next floor, and the floor and the floor after that. And the doors would just open. It was on a continual circuit. You didn't have to push the button to call the lift, or to say which floor you went to, because that was work. That was last year. The Jews in uh, Jesus' day had that same view of the Sabbath, that you mustn't do anything. Who was this man carrying this mat on the Sabbath? Who told you to do that? I said, well, he didn't know. And then there's that extraordinary meeting in the temple, and that confrontation. The Jews incensed as to why Jesus would tell anybody to do anything on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was a day uh, to remember uh, all that God had done. It wasn't a day of celebration. It was to keep the law, and all those laws and rules and regulations, so that man would be kept in their place. And Jesus says, that's the wrong idea of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be transformed, to actually bring new life, to celebrate together. As the Father works, so I work on the Sabbath, says Jesus. 
God in his compassion and love and mercy, they'd never cease. Maybe in Genesis, God stopped the work of creation, but he didn't do nothing. His love and his compassion and his mercy, his sustaining the universe continued. And Jesus says, that should be our view of Sabbath. I've come to release you from the rules and regulations. Come to bring new life. Come to bring two Sundays, two ice creams to you. That's a day to be together. No longer bound by the rules of man. Come and enjoy. Find fulfillment. That's what Jesus promises. Two ice creams. And then thirdly and finally, by whose authority? Uh, My wife works now for the Ministry of Justice and I happened to be in London with her uh, last week. I was at the conference uh, during the day and uh, she was also down in London and I I called into her workplace. I'd never been to the Ministry of Justice before um, and uh, I couldn't get very far in uh, because there were all the security guards and sort of uh, processes to go through. But she signed me in. She has the authority to do that. If I just turned up and said, oh, the person down the road said I could come in. They wouldn't allow you. But the one who has authority gives permission. And Jesus is the one who has authority. He is the Father's Son. The God of creation. The God who wants to restore and to bring new life and new hope. Jesus is equal with the Father. John makes that very clear. And as you've been looking at John so far, and as you continue to look at John's gospel, we're confronted with who this person of Jesus is. This is God himself. No wonder the Jews were so incensed. So where does this leave us as a church community? Well, it's difficult for me to say in many ways, because I don't know you well enough. It's always difficult being a visiting preacher coming in And I wouldn't be so presumptuous to tell you what to do. But to leave you with some questions. So how do you as a church here in this place, in Campbell, how do you celebrate the fact that that God wants to bless us and give us all his benefits of wholeness and new life? How do we confront others with the claims of Jesus? How do we allow them to explore this person of Jesus, to discover that this is not just a great healer or a good teacher, but this is the Son of God. This is God himself who's come to restore his creation, to bring new life and hope to withered souls, emotionally crippled, physically crippled people. How do you do that? We discovered as a church that we could do all sorts of wonderful activities in our community. Be a blessing to others. That's what we longed to be. And I'm sure that you do that as well. You want to be a blessing to this place of Camborne and your different communities and different villages. God will honour that. But how do we help people come to discover his claims on our lives? We had to be strategic in that. We had to help 
people and give opportunities, whether it's through Alpha or through uh, different programs to discover who Jesus is. I hope that uh, you have those in place because God wants to do amazing things here amongst you, for you, and in this community. So as we celebrate and continue to celebrate today, the God who transformed the world from cloud to sunshine in this one man and in many of our lives. The God who enjoys releasing us into his praise and to his wholeness. We move from regulation to Sundays with great relish. And we also proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. May he bless you in your continued life together. And may he truly be glorified in all that you do. Amen.